Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Uh, you're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, the show that takes a look at film, technology, pop culture, and sustainability, because in the end, everything is an ad. I am Katherine Lundstrom, sustainability editor at Adweek. Um, you may notice that I am not the usual host of Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, um, but we're here at South by Southwest, and we're chatting with Duncan Mizell. Executive Director of Clean Creatives. Welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we're going to have kind of a, just an informal chat about climate and the ad industry um, and what Duncan's work is. Um, and yeah, that's, that's going to pretty much be it. So Duncan, tell us about Clean Creatives. What is it? Clean Creatives is a campaign to bring together uh, leaders in the advertising and public relations industry from agencies, from clients, uh, from all over the world to end the ad industry's work with fossil fuel clients, uh, which includes companies that produce, transport, burn fossil fuels, um, power companies that get more than 50% of their energy from fossil fuels, and the front groups and trade associations that represent those companies. Cool. So how did this come about? Can you tell us your Clean Creatives origin story, please? Well, it all begins here in Austin, <laughs> Texas. Uh, yes, because you're from I grew Austin, up. Texas. Yes, home sweet home. <laughs> and during the 2020 election, uh, I, you know, my background is in working with nonprofit climate campaigns. Uh, and I was working with my colleague, Jamie Henn. And we were trying to, we kept seeing ads for the American Petroleum Institute as part of the 2020 election. And who, what is the American Petroleum Institute? The American Petroleum Institute is the largest and oldest lobbying organization that works on behalf of oil and gas companies. Uh, they've been around since the 20s, um, and they are an extraordinarily powerful, rich, and influential uh, trade association, basically. Cool. And there were a bunch of ads being run by them, and, and we thought it would be fun to figure out who made those ads and... Uh, just, you know, make them feel bad about themselves. Like just a very straightforward, <laughs> classic NGO campaign. Um, but what we realized was the agency that was making them at the time was based here in Austin, Texas, where I live, where I grew up. And it just sort of turned on a light bulb that if you're a young creative person in Austin, Texas, uh, it's probably the case that your values are not particularly well aligned with, say, Exxon, an organization that's been denying climate change uh, since 1970s. And Shortly after that, uh, Jamie, my colleague, came across an ad from Philip Morris, the tobacco company, about the, quote, smoke-free future. And the ad was so bad, I thought someone was trying to make fun of Philip Morris. Like, it was just extremely bad copywriting. It was stock footage. It was, it was awful, and it wasn't persuading anybody. 
And knowing enough about the history of that and the way that creative industry has very purposefully tried to limit its work with tobacco companies, you kind of put two and two together. It's like, okay, uh, it's probably the case that people don't want to do this work for fossil fuel companies if it's happening in places like Austin or New York or L.A. or any of these big progressive cities. And if those smart creative people stop working for this industry, um, they'll end up like the tobacco companies. They'll have less ability to influence the public and be able to push their agenda, which is contributing to the climate emergency. Cool. So then how did you get from there to here? Um, so we do a lot of original research um, where we try to take together publicly available information about what, com- what agencies are working with what fossil fuel clients. Uh, we make that available. Um, we reach out to news reporters uh, <laughs> and ask to be on their podcasts uh, so that we can talk about our work. And, um, you know, we're trying to connect with individual creatives. And I would say that most of our growth has come from people who step forward and say, I think I have a concern about this. And I think there are other people like me who have a concern about this. How can we make a difference where I work? And so a lot of what Clean Creatives is doing is providing services to people who are in the industry, who want to see change, and just collaborating with them on the best way to bring this agenda forward uh, to their agency leaders, to uh, their holding companies, to regulators, to wherever they think it needs to be sort of brought uh, to move the conversation forward about ending this work with fossil fuel companies. So that's a lot of how we've grown. It's like we do some research, we put it out there, make it available to people. Um, People in the industry are acting on that research and responding to it. Uh, And it's been mostly actually really positive. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, you had that kind of hypothesis that um, young talent probably didn't really, wasn't that excited about doing ads for the oil companies, these big, huge accounts that their (laughs) employers have. What kind of, what have you heard from these these folks who are like in agencies? Like what, how has that rung true? Like when you talk to folks about... um, about kind of the work that their agencies are doing. How, what have you heard from them specifically? Well, it's, it's interesting. It's a mix of things, uh, as with all, it's a big diverse industry. Right. Um, so, you know, the first step is always kind of establishing the baseline of what's out there, what's the information. Uh, and there's not a lot of transparency around this. So sometimes right. we find that we're discovering pieces of information about work and, and we'll read, someone will be like, I didn't even know my company did this. Yeah. Um, sometimes you reach up to very high up in the agency and they're like, I don't know my company did this. So um, I think there's some gratitude just for the transparency and like, okay, this is a conversation we have now. Um, there's some hesitation. Like it's very hard to run an agency. I'm very sympathetic to that. Yeah. Um, and I think people want to support their, the growth of the companies they work at. Um, so what we've done is we've tried to assemble data that does show, make the case sort of on behalf of young creators in particular, um, where it's not always easy if you're early in your career to speak up about this, um, to you know make connections with other people that can help them amplify their message, uh, provide data that's really clear. Um, and you know I, I think young people, it's not hard to sort of make the case here. You know, if you're a young person entering the industry now, you're 22, 23, there's a good chance that you and your friends or people you know were marching in the global climate strikes in 2019, which was the biggest day of climate mobilization in world history, one of the biggest days of political activity ever. Uh, so I think the, the reality for this is that it's just very present and it may not be the thing that comes up in every single conversation, but you know, if you're trying to hire someone who's really good at their job and there's that moment of hesitation is that really, you know, they have two offers on the table and they're sort of hesitating about you if there's a second thought. 
it, it plays out in subtle ways, I would say. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I guess thinking about kind of like, there, there are these decision makers that are like, okay, you know, as you said, it's hard to run an agency. And they're thinking about what the hell are they going to do if they give up this like really um, lucrative account. What, what kind of have you heard from agency heads who are trying to grapple with these decisions? Like when you talk to them and you're like, hey, like this is what we're trying to do. This is why. What are kind of the different responses from the agency leaders, these decision makers? I think everybody who runs an agency that has a fossil fuel client recognizes it as a reputational risk. And they recognize it as reputational risk. I can say that with confidence because it's very hard to find the information about the work they're doing. It's right. not particularly public. Um, and I think that's what you do when you aren't wildly excited to talk about that. So that's a reality that I think is very evident. Um, and I think the thing that we're trying to raise is that there's three big areas of risk here. One is talent, which we've talked about. You know, someone very early on running this project said, I would rather lose my top three clients than my top three creatives. Um, and I think that was very compelling to me. That's um, interesting, yeah. Uh, another was um, regulatory risk. Um, so there are a growing number of regulators in Europe, uh, in South Africa, in North America, who are taking action on this and sort of identifying greenwashing by fossil fuel companies as a area that's important to have action on, whether it's, you know, limiting the kinds of claims they can make or just banning it entirely. Um, and those actions tend to be attached to lawsuits or investigations where it may be that the agency itself isn't the target of that. Um, but, you know, your emails might end up in the hands of some public officials and you're going to have to deal with, you know, having a lawyer, like look through your stuff and, that is, uh, again, it's uncomfortable, it's difficult, it's, ex it's expensive. Um, and then the last is I would just say that there's um, kind of a broad, I don't know if conflict of interest isn't quite the right question, but sort of a conflict of values and agenda. Um, that if you're a company that does invest in climate solutions and you want to be able to advertise that to the public, it is not in your interest to have large polluters making ads that look and feel like your message. One of two things is happening here. Either consumers are confused and they can't identify the differences between these two things. And it's like, well, I don't know, why not just, you know, why not buy from Shell? It's as good as anything else. Or cynicism, you're poisoning the well. Um, someone who is a thoughtful consumer can look at this and say, well, I mean, if look, if BP can say that they're green and they invest, what, $15 billion a year in fossil fuels, why should I believe anybody? Like everybody's lying about this. And right. I think that's not in the interests of the brands that are gonna grow. It's not in the interest of the brands that your team is probably most excited to work on. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that's a tough way to run a business that wants to focus on those clients if you also are working against their interests actively. Yeah. So I think there's those issues of alignment and, the and risk are things that we try to raise. And I think it's beginning to sink in because, you know, fossil fuel companies have had a banner year. They've engaged in a lot of, a lot of I would say, price gouging, and they've made a lot of money, uh, which is mostly not going into renewable energy. But this is not an industry with a long-term future. You know, if you look 10 years ago, um, you know, coal companies look big and rich and powerful, and they are going bankrupt now. And I think you can begin to look at the oil majors as being on not exactly the same trajectory. It's a different energy source. But a similar trajectory. There's going to be a period in the very near future where they are not able to grow because demand for their product is shrinking. And you know what cuts go, get cut first out of that budget? It's going to be your advertising and PR spend. And so 
I, I think there's a transition risk um, that needs to be taken into account, and you need to look to the future and figure out how are we getting out of this gracefully, how are we doing it with intention, how are we doing it with it in a way that best supports the growth of our team, uh, their well-being, uh, and things like that. Yeah. You and um, other folks have also compared this fight to kind of, and, and this transition to what happened with tobacco um, companies in like, I don't know, the 90s-ish. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of talk about that comparison a little bit and like, I guess, what's similar and helpful about that comparison and maybe what's like a little bit different? Well, I think the the most useful thing to take from the example of tobacco is that limiting advertisement for dangerous companies is a powerful investment in public health. Um, So in the early 70s, the United States banned tobacco advertisements on radio and television and almost immediately and permanently um, rates of smoking, lung disease, et cetera, declined. And it was a big contributor to, you know, not just people starting to smoke less, like you see fewer ads, okay, maybe I'm not going to smoke, but without the communication industry support behind this very dangerous industry, it's much harder for them to stop the political action, the uh, g- governmental action, the regulatory changes that were needed to address a public health crisis. So, right. you know, you can see action from the government on all sorts of fronts to enable can't smoke on airplanes anymore. Thank God. Like, can't smoke in restaurants in as many places. That sort of stuff is only possible when the product and the companies aren't ubiquitous and aren't pushing their message about how good they are everywhere. So I think in this analogy now, if you want to have a climate agenda, if you want your company to be climate positive, to be responding to the climate emergency, this is climate action. Banning advertisements, saying I'm not working with this company, that is climate action. So... Uh That's the first analogy I'd like to make. And, yeah. and then I think it's just a question of imagination. Like, you know, the, the uh, tobacco was one of the biggest advertisers on the planet. They still are in many places. And just the fact that you can run a business with that intention and say, all right, this is the right thing to do. And doing the right thing is the way that we grow our company and the way that we're satisfied with that's going to lead to our long-term health. Uh, and that is possible. Yes, it is hard. Yes, it is a short-term transition, but it's a meaningful contribution to the well-being of our company and our employees, and that's worth doing. Yeah. And there are, like, like that's a, on a lot of ad agencies' kind of, like, list of industries that they don't work with. Like, right. uh, there are a lot of ad agencies that are like, okay, we have a, a short list of things that we absolutely won't touch, like some are guns, tobacco, that kind of thing. Um, and I guess... Every, every company has a line. Everybody, yeah. every day, makes decisions about things they are going to pitch for and not going to pitch for. We just think that this is the right criteria to add to that process, right. that we're not going to work with big polluters. And everybody has a line. It's good to have a line. <laughs> and, I, you know, we, we also, you know, one of the co- questions that people have is, like, isn't a slippery slope? What if we don't do this? Then we'll, what about that? What about that? You know, there's all sorts of things that are potentially have a negative impact on the world. And, like, that may or may not be a fair question, but... There's also a slippery slope if you don't have a standard. If you are willing to say it is okay for us to work with the people that are destroying the future habitability of the planet, what won't you do? That's right. a slippery slope just as much, and yeah. I think a much more dangerous one. So, you know, everybody makes decisions about who they, who they want to work with and who they don't on lots of different criteria. Um, I think there just needs to be more visibility and awareness of this criteria because it's very important for the health of the planet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. One thing that I feel like a lot of agencies respond, kind of, I guess, the narrative that's being used to respond to a lot of what 
I mean, really just what, what you've been doing and the noise you've been making in the industry is, you know, like they've been working with these clients for a long time. They know them well They're And these clients are facing like a, the, the most difficult issue that they've ever faced. Right. And so they're like, we're not going to abandon our, our long-term clients. And at this moment when they really need help, what's kind of your response to an argument like that? We are still, every year since my, in my lifetime, with a small blip for the pandemic, basically, um, global carbon pollution has increased every single time. And it's just not possible to sustain life on the planet as we know it if we continue on that path. It's just too big. And it's difficult to leave long-term relationships, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, there's a mindset that we can help these companies transition. But that's been the message for decades now. They've been saying they're ready to change for a long time. You can read op-eds from BP's ad staff in you know, 2006 saying, we're, 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 we thought we were ready to do this, and they're not. And they're just still not doing it. You know, There's no evidence that these relationships that ad agencies have developed with fossil fuel companies have done anything to reduce carbon pollution. There's no evidence. If you embarked in any other strategy, a creative strategy that had that little evidence behind it, you would lose your job. Right. Um, it's not backed up by the facts. And I think, um, you know, when we're talking about climate change, we're no longer talking about the future. We're talking about now. And we're talking about what decisions you're making. And you're either contributing to a problem that is affecting millions of people's lives or you're contributing to the solution for it. And I, I think it's we're just at the time where people need to make that choice. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. So I guess thinking about, I get, well, let's kind of shift gears a little bit. What have, what have you been up to since this? Clean Creatives <laughs> launched in 2020. We're kind of talking about like high level, what, how this, you know, the meaning of this um, campaign and kind of the impacts that it's had and how people have responded. But like, what have you actually been doing since 2020, since um, you launched? Uh, and what did you do here at South by Southwest? Well, in my, <laughs> I was so pleased to do something in Austin because uh, yeah. we've just been waiting. We launched in the middle of the pandemic and this is the first time we've kind of been able to bring people together in Austin, a city I love. Um, and we worked with Ben and Jerry's, uh, they were extremely supportive of us, uh, and they gave us an ice cream truck. And we know that this is a busy place. Uh, we're here in the middle of a trade hall where there's a million different things to look at and talk about. Uh, and we thought the best way to start a conversation with someone was to offer them free ice cream, including non-dairy options, um, speaking as the vegan in the room. 
Um, <laughs> and so we, we called our truck Carbon and Cream. Um, we had four flavors that we were offering. We offered um, Shell's Half-Baked Net Zero Claims, Chevron's Climate Catastrophe Crunch, uh, Exxon Criminal Mint Deceit, and Aramco, wow, that's dark, chocolate. And <laughs> Our goal was to educate people at South by Southwest, who are some of the most creative people in the world, about the risks of working with these major polluters. And, you know, our, our descriptions, you know, sort of dug into the facts behind this, like Shell is decreasing their, decreasing their investments in renewable energy this year. Um, Chevron is the, you know, company that's responsible for more carbon pollution than any other in America since 1960, so on and so forth. We're trying to basically begin a conversation with education. Uh, but very tasty education. Yeah. Uh, so that was our goal here. And that was kind of the first time we've done this broad outreach to just a group of people at an event like this. Like, And that was exciting to do it with a partner like Ben and Jerry's, who are lovely people um, and very flexible and very kind to us. So shout out to them. Uh, we've also done, um, you know, hosted events at uh, Climate Week in New York, uh, we have done a, a lot of research uh, every year now. We've been releasing something called the F List. Um, shout out to Joe Cole, our creative strategist, for that excellent name. And the F List is just a list of all the known agencies that work with fossil fuel companies and the relationships they have. Um, so that's an educational effort that we try to do just to add a level of transparency to this conversation. Uh, we went to Cannes last year. We brought a group of young creatives to uh, just sort of set them loose on the city of Cannes and said, go make some TikTok videos, start some conversations. That was a lot of fun. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot more we've done, but it's escaping me right now. But <laughs> That's end, a lot already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the end, the end point of this conversation, end point of it is that uh, there's over 500 agencies that have now taken the pledge to not work with fossil fuel clients. Wow. Um, and I'm really grateful to all of them. Um, I think there's probably like 1,700, 1,800 individuals that have signed the pledge. Um, there's really strong teams growing inside a bunch of agencies that are really focusing on this. Um, and it's just been a beautiful community. And I feel like we're dovetailing with a lot of other conversations that people are having. Yeah. I think part of the reason that we've been growing is that when I first start talking to people about this in 2020 and 2021, as soon as you mention it, it's just like, it's like it's been on the tip of their tongues. Like, yes, this is what I've wanted to talk about. And I'm just really grateful to all, well, one, I'm grateful to the Clean Creatives team, which is growing and is full of just fantastic, lovely people. Uh, and also uh, just everybody in the industry who's had very helpful and open dialogue, even when they're telling me I'm wrong. Like, I think we have been able to approach this conversation with a level of respect um, and openness that I, I think is uh, really important. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That kind of... I. Because you mentioned kind of how this is there's There are conversations happening all around the industry about, like, what what is the industry's role in climate? And, like, what... I, I feel like there are different levels of, like, you know, agencies are grappling with a lot of different things. Brands are trying to figure out, like, how to talk about climate but not be greenwashers and, you know, reach people who are activists and who care, but, um, you know, balancing a lot of different priorities. Thinking about kind of what else is out there in the industry, I guess, how, how is Clean Creatives engaging with the other groups? I mean, there are other, there's like AdNet Zero, who's, um, you know, describes itself, comes out of the UK originally. Um, it's describes itself as the advertising's, the advertising industry's response to climate change. Um, it's a, got a bunch of agency um, signatories on, and supporters. Um, 
there's you know there are there are movements in production like green the bid um, and ad green in the UK there are you know there there's action right um, kind of how how are you engaging with those different groups you know I, I've spoken with people at all those organizations at one point or another um, they have all been quite friendly even when we haven't agreed and I would say our role vis-a-vis them is all of that is good. You know, it is objectively good to reduce the carbon footprint of production and your tech stack, and these are all worthwhile things. But it's not looking at the main thing that the ad industry produces, which is influence. Uh, And influence is uh, the most important product of these agencies, and it can't be ignored as part of the sustainability conversation. The ad industry doesn't just produce hotel reservations and flights. The ad industry produces advertisements. Right. And the thing that those advertisements do is they influence the public to make a decision. And uh, we think that, you know, again, sustainability is a lot of things. It's fast fashion. It's plastic. It's, uh, you know, any number of issues. But the way that we encourage people to produce, to look at this is what's the biggest part of the problem? The biggest part of the problem is the energy industry. It's responsible for about three quarters of global emissions. And if we can reduce the influence of these people who are doing the most to obstruct change, who are doing the most to greenwash, everything else becomes a lot easier. It actually becomes easier to book green flights because we're having better investment in renewable fuels. It becomes easier to uh, address fast fashion and agriculture and meets impact on the planet because they're producing fewer petrochemicals that go into your, you know, everything. So our thinking is that let's look at the big rocks first. The big rock is your influence and your influence of the biggest polluters. Once you've done that, it's easier to solve everything else. Um, And so, you know, I think hopefully we are intersecting with those conversations in a way that makes them stronger. Um, I would love to see all those groups continue to succeed uh, and that we just help push together further uh, because we are in a very timely emergency. And I, I think the reason that the dialogue has been respectful and engaged in the way it has is because everyone recognizes that. Uh, and we would just like to be the force that, you know, helps move it along further. Yeah. You did do a little stunt um, that focused on AdNet Zero recently. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and what exactly is the difference, I guess, between the, like, um, approach that Clean Creatives is taking and the approach that AdNet Zero is? Yeah, so AdNet Zero um, is a now global, um, it moved to the U.S., uh, network of of basically every big network uh, holding company is part of AdNet Zero. Um, And it's supposed to be a framework to deal with the immediate carbon footprint of the ad industry. Again, flights, production, um, kind of cleaning our, they they, they describe it as, you know, dealing with our, cleaning up our own house first. Right. Um, And again, all those things are extremely worthwhile. Right. But that doesn't, in my mind, really count as a response to the climate emergency. I don't think it's fulfilling the top-level mission that they've given themselves. Um, I think a response to the climate emergency is about aligning all of your values and practices to solve a very pressing, large problem. So um, AdNet Zero existed for a few years, um, but through some means or another, decided not to reserve um, the at AdNet Zero on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. Um, and someone on our team... Um, Tomea Gregory, who we worked with in Cannes, um, recognized this, and we reserved the handles. And so when AdNet Zero launched in the U.S., um, and people were mentioning AdNet Zero on the internet, um, we took those handles and we launched them with a message about um, at the 
many of the sponsors of AdNet Zero work with a number of fossil fuel polluters, including the biggest in the world. And so we use those platforms on that day to explain what we think should be a priority for AdNet Zero, which is solving their work with major polluters. And um, I hope we hope to give them back the, the <laughs> handles like we would like to give them. I mean, I assume there was a reason they didn't reserve those handles. I'm not going to speculate. Um, so we will give our handles, I would say, which are at AdNet Zero to them um, once they have a plan uh, for how they're going to eliminate fossil fuel clients in their agency's mix. They don't have to do it tomorrow. They don't have to. It doesn't have to be right now. But we do think it's appropriate for an industry association with the mandate of ad net zero to have a plan for that. Yeah, makes sense. Um, cool. So what's next for Clean Creatives? And I guess, do you have any like goals for the year? Yeah, um, we really want to expand the dialogue with brands. Um, so we were very happy that Seventh Generation issued a new sustainability report last year that focused on what they called the fingerprint of right. their of their company, um, which is their relationships with not just agencies, but banks and consultants and, you know, accounting companies and sort of seeing how they can use their influence in those spheres to move their partners towards aligning with seven generations goal of, you know, protecting the planet. Um, so that was great. We got to help them with their report. They were very, shout out to Kate Ogden, thank you, um, who did a great job of kind of just opening that conversation. And I think we want to take that framework and bring it to more brands. We obviously had talks with our friends at Ben and Jerry's. Um, and then, you know, I think that what's interesting about this conversation now is that anytime you see advertising leaders bringing up sustainability and climate change, this question is getting asked. And so I think, I hope um, that this is the year where um, we stop talking about this as a future policy and start thinking of it as something of how we are going to implement um, I think it's very, very difficult to ignore, and um, we're going to do our best to help it not be ignored. Uh, but I think our main goal, connect with more brands, go deeper into these conversations with agencies, and uh, really make sure that we're giving a voice to the people, in young people in particular, that they feel heard, that they feel seen, uh, and make sure that their uh, contributions to this conversation are being recognized. Very cool. I think that's pretty much our time. Um, thanks so much for listening. Duncan, thank you so much uh, for being here. Thank you. Um, again, I'm not the real host of this podcast, so thanks for bearing with me. <laughs> I think you're a real host. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, I don't know. Get in touch with Duncan. Send me an email if you have any questions about this stuff. I'm Catherine.Lundstrom at adweek.com. Would love to chat. Um, and I'm at cleancreatives.org. Yeah, cool. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you for listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by me, Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Ahrens and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGivney at Boutwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.